Teaching Channel Talks. I'm your host, Wendy Amato, and I'm at it again, engaging educators in conversations about topics that make a difference. Today, join me to explore teacher preparation. My guest is Sarah Larison from Northwestern University. She's gone beyond her classroom teaching experience, working now to advance teacher preparation. Sarah, welcome. Thank you, Wendy. Thanks for having me. What can you share about recent work you've been doing at Northwestern? Oh, wow. Well, um, as you know, I just finished a course I was facilitating with teachers um, about mathematical argumentation in kindergarten through second grade. And the teacher facing goals were to learn more about mathematical argumentation and their own and one another's practice and learn to look at students through a more strengths based lens. Um, and my research interest really lies in what does this mean? to notice students through a strengths-based lens and how does that show up when we're having conversations with our colleagues about students um, after having watched video of them. Ooh, that's a lot. There are good topics in there. Can you help uh, for people who have not done background information on what it means to have a strength-based lens? Are we talking about avoiding the deficit mindset or are you looking for particular skills in mathematics? So that's a good and open question, because I think um, from my perspective, it isn't completely outlined. And I guess maybe I should back up for a moment to say that um, for the last couple of decades, since the sort of the reform era in mathematics teaching and learning, um, the big push has been on responsive teaching, which is basically just tailoring your instruction based on what students are thinking and what students need in the moment. And a huge body of research has been built in this area. And what I'm particularly interested in is how teachers learn to notice students thinking as that sort of the, the prerequisite to responding to it, right? Um, and we know that it's tricky for teachers to learn to notice students thinking in substantive ways. Um, and something that's still sort of new in the research is how can teachers look at students generously and how can they seek to build from what students already know and what students are already doing. And I think there are a lot of implications there, certainly just for a constructivist um, approach to teaching and for equity. So it's an area that, to your original question, isn't necessarily well outlined. And I'm kind of in the muck right now, exploring the interplay between noticing strengths and deficits and how that plays out both in what teachers notice as they're watching videos on their own, and then when they talk about it together in conversation. Tell me, uh, you said watching videos on their own. Tell me about video in the work that you're doing. What, what's being filmed? Yeah, so each week or module of the course, teachers learn about a new task that is a rich task, so meaning to engage students. Um, a rich task is like an open-ended task that invites a variety of thinking from their students. And teachers would try it out, record it in their classroom with a group of focal students, bring back a video to the platform and do video annotations on their own videos to try to notice different things about students' thinking, and then make video annotations on their peers' videos to notice their students' thinking. And then we'd all come back together in groups and basically just talk about our videos and our tags and our thinking. 
This seems interesting to me. I think there's even another layer where we could ask what it means to come to an observation with fresh eyes. If, we, if we're so used to our students' behavior, are we able to see when they are changing or do we insist that the way we have been seeing them must be what they're, I don't know, it's so layered. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because I think I'm noticing this tension between the knowledge we have of our own students. And certainly that's an asset in a lot of cases saying, oh, I know that they were thinking about this other thing last week. I think this connects here and seeing the growth in students. But I think on the flip side, it can also, as you say, prevent us sometimes from seeing with fresh eyes saying, oh, well, they don't know how to do that. That's They haven't gotten there yet. They're not ready for this skill. When someone else might say, actually, Let's look at what they actually are saying and doing in the video. It seems like they are doing that. What kinds of things are your teacher students noticing in the videos? Any specifics? I think that culturally teachers, myself included, are conditioned to notice deficits in our students. For some reason, there's this really pervasive idea that we need to fill gaps or fix what students don't know. And we think that's what teaching means, but really that doesn't work. And we know that from the research. So we talk about that really explicitly. We talked about that in the course a lot. So teachers were really used to noticing in that way. So they say, oh, this is the student's misconception in this case, or, oh, the student didn't do this or doesn't know this. And they really have, sh they really shifted throughout the course just at a high high level of analysis to saying, wait a minute, I didn't notice this on my first watch or when I was doing this in real time, this really interesting thing the student was doing. And not only are they noticing what students are doing and saying, but they're also noticing this sort of like gray area that I think as teachers, we don't get to embrace very often of like the unknown or the interesting and surprising things that students are working through. And this, I see this course as a space to sort of play in that gray area together. Would you make a recommendation that people intentionally watch a classroom recording more than one time that we, that we come at it, uh, I don't know, with different questions at the beginning? Absolutely. I think we talked about, this is something that came up in all of the, we're calling them virtual video clubs. Um, you know, there would be a set of tags on any given video, what teachers were noticing and talking about. And then when we come back together, almost every single time we would be able to surface attention in what we were looking at and making sense of on our own versus with the group. And it seemed like a really sweet spot to figure out what it is actually going on here. And also keeping in mind, okay, does this actually matter or does it not? And trying to distinguish those moments to have more productive conversations. So, um, and we know that sometimes we watch the video like four times in our time together, which again, takes away our time in the conversation, but really provided such a rich um, mediator of our conversation as well. And we, we notice something different every time. Sometimes when people think about recording lessons, they're thinking about a classic 47 minute or a block period. That's yeah. not really a realistic watch. And uh, it, you, your mind can move in so many directions when you have too much time, but a mm -hmm. focused clip could be a game changer. I think so. And I think it's also an area of right for more exploration because of course, the segment of any clip that you're watching frames the way you're watching it. Mm 
So if you're watching something where the task is introduced, you're likely going to be paying attention more to something about the pedagogy, right? Mm -hmm. But depending on the point or the, the type of thinking that's evident from students, um, it influences the type of thing you can notice. And I think that the interplay between the clip choice and what's noticed and how that's functions to frame teachers video viewing is is a really interesting area to me. There has been some research on identifying the optimal amount of time for a video observation that produces the same results or understanding of the classroom environment or the, the teacher knowledge or the appropriateness of the instructional strategy. And I, I'm not sure if there's a, a final answer on that one, I, I feel like final answer. <laughs> but um, I think it comes down to I, being clear about what you're looking for. And in your case, you're looking specifically at the student thinking. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Again, in the same breath, I think that if you choose a clip focused, for instance, on one student or something interesting that happens, it's functioning as a frame to say like, look, this is the thing. I guess my point is choosing too short of a clip can sort of funnel teacher's attention. So it's finding that balance of enough time um, and not too much. I, I wanted to ask if you have advice for people who haven't been using video yet. I wonder if you have some advice about how to get started. There's certainly some, some comfort that has to be found in um, recording yourself and then sharing it. What advice might we offer to people who, who recognize the value but just don't know how to get there? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's vulnerable. Um, I think in teaching today, we don't often get the chance to go into our colleagues' classrooms. So I think recording and looking at video with our colleagues is, is a way to sort of get around that logistical problem. Um, luckily today, there are so many different ways to record. I mean, we all walk around with a camera in our pocket all day. Um, and in many classrooms, there are different types of technologies with different types of recording technologies. So I guess I would say just starting with something that you're comfortable with, it might just be your phone and it might just be setting it to the side for a couple minutes and maybe just looking at it yourself and reflecting on it a couple of times and thinking about what you want to get from the process. And then I think being with, um, with colleagues that you trust that are going to be supportive and are going to ask the hard questions and the things that are going to um, promote a rich conversation about it. What kind of hard question are your teacher students asking one another? Well, I think sort of the million dollar question is, what does the student mean? Or what does the student understand? In a lot of these conversations we talked about, we'd say, you know, for instance, one of the tasks had to do with equality and seeing if um, what students understood about what the equal sign means. And there are a lot of different ideas about that. It's, you know, a seemingly simple topic. Um, so we did a lot of work for two weeks trying to gather information via video about our students' thinking. And a lot of times at the end, we'd say, I think there are some building blocks here that the student understands, and they're still holding on to these other conceptions that the equal sign, for instance, just means there's the answer, right? Which we know it means a lot more than that. That's a good one. What are the other tough questions are, are you identifying? 
I mean, I think um, one that doesn't come up as often, but I think is really valuable is, are you sure about that? Or what makes you think that? Because a lot of times, back to your point about um, looking at something with fresh eyes, and the research says this, we see according to what we expect, right? We don't necessarily see what's there. Um, so having that trust and that that group community and that culture that's that allows us to ask each other in like a really genuine way, like, what makes you think that? Or are you sure about that? I don't know. And to disagree in a really generative way. Um, so those to me felt like the sweet spots in our conversation as well. I like the question in a math environment because math uh, mindsets seem like the ones that are most hungry for evidence, uh, you know, the proof or uh, some um, really visible, tangible evidence. I, I also can hear in social conversations where someone makes a statement and someone else says, really? Seriously? <laughs> and, and, and you just have to pause for a moment and be open to whether a statement or an observation does hold water or if there is support for it. We should all be asking ourselves and one another these kinds of tough questions, especially in education. Yeah, I think so. If we're, if we're not asking it of ourselves and uh, making it a part of teacher preparation, then nobody is. It's a good point. Yeah, I think it does. I think it starts with um, teacher education and teacher professional development. I mean, we want to learn as teachers the way we want our students to learn, right? And a lot of the teachers commented, we're learning about mathematical argumentation for our students, but really we're engaging in argumentation as teachers. And it was such a meta moment for me to be like, wow, you are so spot on with that. And I think there's a lot of value there. I like that. You had a meta moment. Yeah. What is the full research question that you're exploring right now? So um, I'm looking at to what extent and in what ways did teachers learn to notice students' mathematical thinking with the strengths-based lens? And then relatedly, in what way, to what extent and in what ways did design features of the course support teachers in that work? That's going to be great. Is the work that you're doing right now and the research that you're exploring based on teaching experience that you have from the Chicago public school system or where, where did you where did you get this curiosity? Yeah, absolutely. I think as a teacher in general, I think we have ideas about the way we want to teach and the way we want to see students and the way we want to do things that are often in tension with the way things actually play out in real time particularly when we have over 30 students and limited time and tons of constraints. And, you know, we know all the things that are hindering us, but I think there's also real opportunity in there to say, okay, look, the, the conditions aren't perfect for what I want to do, but what can I do within these constraints and within this context? And I think that's where, um, I'm really passionate about talking to pre-service teachers and teachers about when it comes to mathematics instruction in particular, um, to say like less is more, like enough with this, we have to be like doing these worksheets and all these different forms of assessments. If you just have one juicy provocative question and you talk about it with students, not only is that gonna make your life easier and actually you're gonna have more fun teaching math, but it's better for kids. 
you can get deep, like go deeper, not wider. Um, and it's better for everyone. Sarah, can you share what's the funniest thing you've come across in your in your work so far with Northwestern? The funniest thing? Yeah. Oh gosh, that's such a good question. Yeah, I, I, I like to ask it because there's joy in what we do and yeah. thinking about making education better doesn't have to be a painful slog. We can actually have some laughter and, and joy and light moments in, in uh, preparation or education. Oh, it's so true. You know, I think a lot of it is, I had these ideas like, ooh, going to grad school, this is so intellectual. I, uh, you know, we all have imposter syndrome to some degree, but to be able to work with people and see each other and see one another as humans and in those ways, like, for instance, I know you're talking to Miriam for your podcast as well, and we would look at a video together, and we would be cueing to different things in some cases and interpreting them differently, and we'd push on each other, so we'd be sort of like, creating this mold for the things we wanted teachers to do. And I'd say, I don't know, Miriam, like, what do you think? And she'd say, no, that's not what I think. And then we'd be laughing about it because at the end we might say, well, you know what? Sometimes we just don't know. And we don't know what student mean, students mean. So just, I think that humanness and that connection and realizing we all want to be better teachers and do what's better for students. And we all don't know what we're doing half of the time. And we're trying to figure it out together. I like that. Yeah, a funniest thing doesn't have to be roll on the floor funny. It can be just a moment where you're like, huh, wow. Yeah, like none of us really know. <laughs> yeah, those are there's joy and discovery, even for us in whatever levels of continued studies we're in, the there's there's still discovery happening. And and that's fun. Yeah. Oh, there's always so many more questions. That's the fun part and the daunting part, I think, about this kind of work. Once once you're on to something, it only brings up 10 other things that you're wondering about. One more question for you. Talking about teacher preparation, how would you finish a sentence that starts, I believe? I believe that we must teach our teachers the way we believe that students should be taught, which is to say, enough with these old school approaches. Like, let's get together, for instance, and do math together. Let's do the work together. Let's watch video. Let's talk about it. Let's really construct our understandings collectively. That's perfect. I'm really thankful that you are uh, in the field you're in and doing the work that you're doing and pushing the research. <laughs> it's going to make a difference. You'll see. You're so kind, Wendy. I'm so happy that we got the chance to talk. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you for coming. To fellow educators, thank all of you for listening. If you'd like to explore resources related to what Sarah and I have discussed today, please check out the show notes at teachingchannel.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe on whatever listening app you use. It will help others to find us and enjoy the conversation. I'll see you again soon for another episode. Thanks for listening.